This is the Annex, a sociology podcast. I'm Joseph Cohen from Queens College in the City University of New York. For more, visit theannexpodcast.com. I wanted to talk about this piece that came out. I can't remember if it was the end of last week or the beginning of this week. Um, so there's a bit, uh, there's this report that uh, I was listening to on Reveal um, from the Center of Investigative Reporting about uh, racial disparities in mortgage lending. Now, I mean, I started listening to this story and I was like, seriously? The same. I mean, you're going to tell us something we already know. We already know there are racial disparities in mortgage lending. But what was different uh, with this with this piece is, I mean, number one, they were looking at mortgage lending post recession. Um, so for those of us who may have thought that there was this sort of reset button, um, you know, in terms of lending out there and racial disparities, no. <laughs> no reset, number one. But number two, one of the really interesting things that they found was that in in places that had previously been subject to redlining, you know, sort of like code word for black neighborhoods, basically, um, where banks wouldn't lend um, or were not that willing to lend um, in the past, um, what we are seeing is that many of these neighborhoods are actually today being gentrified or have been gentrifying um, for about a decade. And what they're finding is that um, is that people who've lived in those neighborhoods for a long time are systematically being denied loans, um, whereas newcomers and that's code word for white people, um, are actually being given loans. And so in some ways, uh, you can think of this as, I mean, the question I'm asking is, is the Community Reinvestment Act being used to subsidize gentrification? Um, I, I, thought, I, I thought it was both interesting and depressing, that story. And were they looking at home equity loans as well as? Yes. They, so multiple loans. So mortgages, home equity, and um, there was a third kind of loan. I can't remember. I can't remember. But yeah. So so here's the thing, right? So they had these multiple measures. One of the things that they obviously couldn't use was credit score, right? Because that information is proprietary and no one seems to be able to get their hands on that. But then I was also thinking about what's the name of that senator from South Carolina, the Republican Scott? Is it Scott? Yes, Tim Scott. Yeah. And so, see, I knew it was Scott. I couldn't remember his first name. And one of the things he's actually been calling for is sort of this kind, like an investigation into how credit scores are actually put together in the whole credit reporting system, um, because he actually believes that the credit scoring system in and of itself is discriminatory, right? So, you know, there might be this weird kind of like, like tautological thing going on where, you know, you have all of these things that go into your credit score, but at the same time, you know, if your demographic, I mean, if your race, right. And, you know, in some, in some cases, sex um, actually are seen to be in and of themselves risk factors, then even if you have the same income, the same assets, right. As someone else, 
right? And and the, and you've actually been pretty good um, in terms of paying your bills on time. You might still end up either looking better or worse than someone based on your demographic information. My understanding is that these models, as a rule, don't include race, but they do include things that are highly correlated with the like zip code. Mm-hmm. And you know, so this gets to a couple of issues. One is uh, kind of the broad kind of meta-theoretical issue of what's a control and what's a mechanism, you know, and so I'm glad you mentioned credit scores and apparently, you know, Mm -hmm. something that Senator Scott's interested in of, um, Mm -hmm. you know, this is because the naive view would just be, oh, here's these racist loan officers, right? But, you know, Mm -hmm. we all know uh, that these days mortgages are mostly not based on intuitive, excuse me, intuitive decisions based on the expert judgment of a loan officer, they're mostly based on uh, essentially algorithms and credit scores and things like that, which is one reason why you can have like internet-based loans where it makes a decision in half a second. Um, It's not Uh like there's some human being making that kind of snap judgment. Um, It's all algorithmically based. And so, you know, a kind of slightly less naive thing would be to say, oh, well, this is just based on the algorithm. Therefore, it's not a problem or racist or whatever like that. But, you know, of course you could say, what goes into the algorithm and um, how is the algorithm building things in? And then you get into even more complicated issues about, you know, it, there's <clears throat> there's very clearly, you know, is the algorithm accurate or not? And then whether or not the algorithm's accurate, is it fair in some broader sense? Yeah, I, one of the reasons why I brought it up too was, you know, whatever, I was trying to set you up there, Japonica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with your, you know, with your work yeah. on gentrification, yeah. right? And um, and I don't know, I don't know if you'd seen the piece and, um, and, you know, and what are your thoughts on this? I mean, one thought that I have, the reason I asked about the home equity piece is that it seems to me, I mean, it's sort of informally based on the ethnographies that I've done in gentrifying communities, that home equity can be one way that longtime residents who don't have high incomes are able to stay in place as things change around them in terms of, for instance, you know, their property taxes going up or, um, you know, uh, new residents um, being much stricter about zoning requirements and needing to make sure that your house is meeting those and so I can think of all kinds of ways beyond just the initial mortgage that this places a very unfair burden on longtime residents in these neighborhoods. So. Yeah, there there was actually one there was actually one woman that they that they interviewed who was I, I want to say she was she was either looking for a home equity loan or she was just trying to take you know get a, a loan on credit on her on her house and it was really her house was worth two hundred thousand um, dollars she had a she had a full time job um, and she was asking for a th- or thirty thousand dollar line of credit right so that she could. Um, make her house nicer, and she was denied the loan. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me, it would seem to me, I mean, how bad must your credit be if you basically have an asset of worth $200,000 towards which you would take out a $30,000 loan that it would be uh, that it would be denied, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a loan officer, so. Right. Well, it would depend on if you have uh, previous loans on the asset and how much equity you have. Well, the equity was 200000 right, in terms of that. Like the house was paid off. Yes. She, oh. Uh, 
I don't know. It looks like free money to me. <clears throat> well, you know, repossession or, you know, banks don't like to foreclose you know, because there's enormous mm-hmm. transaction costs and also because there's bad publicity. And that was one of the things that happened in the last financial crash is that you had people take out home equity loans. And I mean, it, my understanding is that the financial crash and the housing crisis that led to it was basically two issues. Uh, one, mm-hmm. you had, you know, investment in exurbs. And then once the price of gasoline rose, nobody wanted to live in those exurbs anymore. Um, and then two, you had kind of long-standing neighborhoods where people had paid off their houses and were taking out home equity uh, credit lines. And then once the uh, price declined, they couldn't you know maintain that by constantly taking out equity. And so <clears throat> you know you had a very different um, housing crisis in Detroit than you did in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. But wasn't also one of the things that helped to fuel the crisis was the fact that banks were giving out all of these subprime loans, right? Regardless of whether or not the person who had applied for a loan actually should have been given a subprime loan. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying there were two types of subprime loans. There there were home equity lines in longstanding neighborhoods, and then there were subprime loans to basically uh, new housing stock, you know, 100 miles outside of growing cities. Japonica, did you say that people you saw people taking out home equity loans to cover property taxes? Well, I don't know that. No, I mean, I don't I don't have a specific example of someone who would do that. But I have plenty of examples of people who were not sure how they were going to pay their property taxes mm-hmm. as they went up and were thinking in all kinds of creative ways about how they were going to generate income to pay them. It's interesting that you talk about uh, property taxes as like a gentrification issue, because in California, all of our state uh, politics, in a certain sense, come back to Proposition 13, uh, which mm-hmm. passed in 1978. And Proposition 13 uh, basically caps your um, property taxes at 1% of your home's assessed value when you first bought it, or your home's assessed value in 1978, if you've been there forever. And one of the original reasons it passed is uh, was in order to keep people in their homes uh, when their property tax bills was we're going up, which seems absurd now because, you know, the median house price in California uh, in 1978 was, I don't know, $50,000 or something like that. Whereas, you know, now you see these absurd figures that, you know, in order to buy a home in San Francisco, you would need to have a $300,000 salary. Um, You know, so, I mean, this is several bubbles ago, uh, you know, before uh, uh, California house prices appreciated. But there was still this concern in the 1970s that uh, home appreciation, and that was a period of high inflation, um, that, you know, home appreciation, almost all of it at the time, uh, nominal appreciation, but that doesn't help if you're on a fixed income, um, was pricing incumbents out of their home. And that's one of the reasons that Prop 13 passed and, you know, has been, uh, you know, doing all sorts of distortionary things to the state budget ever since. Well, so for me, like also bringing up this issue is also this kind of sort of what I think of as this absurd logic in seeing the Community Reinvestment Act actually being put into place, <laughs> right, in order to displace people that the Community Reinvestment Act, I think, originally was supposed to help out. Yeah. It's almost as if policy has unintended consequences. (laughs) (laughs) 
You've been listening to the Annex, a sociology podcast. For more information, visit theannexpodcast.com. Music is by Lena Orsa. Our production team included Anika Chowdhury and Lisseth Moreno. On behalf of the Annex team, I'm Joe Cohen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>